Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, it's an honour to be here. I really appreciate David and his heart and vision and this weekend of re-envisioning. Thank you for giving up a Saturday to be here. And I love that you're refocusing today on something of the heart of God. I'm married to Susan for the last 32 years. She's a very blessed lady. (laughs) And she said to me the other day, I've got a parking ticket. I said, have you? I said, oh dear. I was visiting a mother in Stamford. She said, I've got a parking ticket, but it's unjust. I said, is it unjust? She said, yeah, I was definitely in my space. It was just in that space. I, I, I may have gone over by half an inch, but I was in this space. I said, okay, we'll write to them and say, could we have a photo? And she said, I'm not paying it, it's wrong. So we wrote to them and said, we think you've made a mistake, we understand how this happens, could you please send us a photo? We waited and then another letter came and I opened the letter and had a look at the photo. This is the photo on the screen. I said, you're in the middle of two spaces. (laughs) Two, two spaces. So we paid the fine and didn't talk about it anymore. Uh, this, this year, as part of our summer holiday, we took our youngest son and his wife, our three granddaughters, uh, to France, and part of that, we went to Disneyland Paris. I've never done that before. It's like walking into a Disney film. And after being overwhelmed the first day with all the shops and things that people wanted to sell the same toys in 20 different ways, we arrived early at the park the next day, and my son and I running to try and get on some rides and get tickets for rides. And as we ran into the park, we saw Goofy on the left. And it was like something drew you towards Goofy. Let's get a photo with Goofy. And as I was running towards him, I thought, there's a bloke in a suit going, oh, it's hot in here. Got another day. (laughs) So what am I doing? So we moved on. But there's so many things about there that were inspirational. There's a procession at night at five o'clock and these big gates open and thousands of people line the roads and out come all the characters of Disney. Mary Poppins at the front and, and then all the princesses and the Lion King and you find yourself, not myself but other grown men, calling out the names of people hoping they'll wave at you. It's ridiculous, <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. And the shows and the fireworks and everything that's Disney. And I stood there and thought, this is almost as good as people can do to perform. But the one that I love, just a a stamp of his creativity, is more significant than all of this. And as you gather today for a fresh sense of commission, it's a privilege to say a few things about the heartbeat of the Father. I love the church. I love the fact that there are different expressions of the church, different leaders who carry the same heart for the gospel, maybe slightly different in some of their doctrine, but they are part of the one family. And we'd not been in Leicester very long when we went to another church just to visit. And when we were there, someone came up to me, not a leader, came up to me and said, oh, are you here spying out the competition? (laughs) What I said was... (laughs) What I wanted to say was this. The competition. We are based in a place in the bottom 10% of poverty and depravity in the country. Within a mile of our building, there are 53 mosques and madrasas. We have one of the largest Hindu festivals outside of India. 3% of the population know Jesus, and you think you are the opposition. You see, we live in challenging days, politically difficult days. We face the, com- the temptation as a church to compromise, to keep everyone happy with us and still like us. And as a church, we can easily become an inward group of friends who love one another and connect together and talk together, and it's lovely, small groups together, barbecues together, uh, enjoying worshipping together, and go to sleep while the world around us is still lost. And we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I love the fact that your vision, so much of it is very, very similar to ours. And looking at your website, different projects, your heart for planting and reaching the lost and mission, I love it. But I've been asked just to share a little bit of our story and tell you what motivates us in our leadership. Why we do what we do, how we reach our world. What are the things in my life that get me up in the morning? And I'm going to tell some stories. I've changed all the names of people in those stories. Um, In church life, of course, we are to disciple. We are to care 
to pray, to meet together, to inspire one another. Community, family, a place where you can find a new sense of belonging for those who don't understand family, of course. But the heartbeat of every church that I believe is connecting with the Father surely has to love the poor, love the nations, and love the lost. It has to be three heartbeats beating in that house. If I could revisit one time in my life, I'm pretty sure it would be Saturday, November the 9th, 1985. I'm visiting a friend at Keele University who told me he's become a Christian. I'm 19 years old. I'm in a rock band. I'm insecure. I'm lost. I'm drifting in life. This is me. And I'm sat on the Saturday morning with an American navigator with a, with a large ginger beard. It gets bigger every time I tell it. And he's just talked to me about what a Christian is. Now, I was baptized as a baby. I was an Anglican chorister. I sang at Southern Minster and paid to sing in seven or eight services a week. I, I was confirmed. I believed in God. I had a, an understanding of God, but I was lost. And he said to me, David, you can pray now or you can wait and pray later. And I said to him, I want to pray now. And I sat and he led me in a prayer, taking me across the bridge from where I was to become a follower of Jesus. If I could live one moment, it would be to go into that room and it would be to look at that insecure young man and it would be to say this, David, listen, you have just said the most important words of your whole life. What has just happened in this moment, you don't realize now, but it's going to define every second of your life from here to now. You're going to need some help. You're going to be set free from the pain that currently holds you in your brokenness. You're going to be introduced to a father, a heavenly father, who's going to take your breath away. You're going to face some walls. You're going to carry some questions. But listen, this will be the ride of your life, and it is magnificent what is about to happen. You know, the next day I was in a, a house church meeting in Newcastle under Lyme, front row, about 50 people. A guy got up with a guitar and began to sing a song, Worthy, oh, worthy are you, Lord. I stood up on the front row. The Holy Spirit hit me. I began to weep in God's presence. I wept all the way through the service, was filled with the Spirit, and returned home with a sense of the call of God already happening in me. Uh, God led me to a church in Nottingham. I became an intern for a year, and then I worked with a senior leader for 20 years. I was a youth pastor for eight years. My love to all those that work with young people, what a privilege. And, and then different ministries, and was the executive pastor for the last eight years. And in me, from that moment in 1985, began to burn a passion to love the poor, love the nations, and love the lost. And here I am, I was now 40, I'd just written a book, it was everything I knew about Christianity, it was quite a thin book, <laughs> J. J. John described it as a loo book, you could read, read a chapter in a sitting, that's how he put it. <laughs> I think that was helpful, I don't think that described my book, but never mind. And then out of the blue, an invitation comes to come and lead Trinity Life Church in Leicester. Now, Leicester, when you live in Nottingham, Nottingham's a developing city. Leicester, why would you want to come to Leicester? You know, it's like, ooh, look down on it. What is it? Uh, and, and I felt this immediately a challenge. And the leader who invited me, it was a different type of church, a smaller church, a very different kind of church to the city church I was in. And Susan and I just said, God, if you're in this, we're never going to visit on a Sunday. We're never going to go and see the church. That's not going to be part of it, because if I go, I'm not going to go. And we're not going to want to go, and our kids aren't going to want to go. That's no offense to the guys who were there at the time. But if it's your will, we'll go. And we were invited to a kind of informal interview in Highfields, and we arrived. It was a sunny day. There was an ice cream van on the corner, children playing in the street. And it's... Shh. And it was like, wow, what a lovely, quaint place. <laughs> Some of you don't come there because you're nervous about your cars. Well, that's where we live. Not literally, but church-wise. And we decided to go. And on the 2nd of September 2007, we arrived in Leicester. We walked down the road. We parked at a car park some distance. Our car got kicked on by a ball that day and slightly dinted on the door. That was a greeting. I was really pleased with that. And there was a man hanging out the window next to the church shouting expletives at people as they arrived at the church building. He was unhappy with the noise of the church. In fact, he'd, but there was a complaint and the council were investigating uh, the, the noise levels of TLC. It was all to do with the Godfrey Bertel concert. 
and I could blame him about that, really. And there were, it was a great church, lots of things to do, but I suddenly realized that that ice cream van must have been planted by the leaders of TLC. <laughs> Because from the first day we arrived, there were police cars on the street every day, there were fights, there were women in burkas, men with beer cans, blood on the road, more bad language than I've ever experienced in my life. I was intimidated, I was unhappy with the house I'd bought and moved into, I was overwhelmed by it, I was afraid, I lost weight as a leader, I was in a mess. And we, we ran a barbecue in the middle of Highfields, I got a bit confused about what kosher meant, offended quite a lot of people, and... Uh, <laughs> And at the end of it, there was a pregnant lady there who was homeless. And she said to us, can, can you help me? And Susan and I, you know, the church at that time would open on Sunday and the doors would be locked all week because it was dangerous. And we couldn't help her. Found a few tins, really helpful for someone who's on the streets. I'm glad where to cook it. No tin opener to open it, but here's a tin. Thank you. I throw it through a, a shop window and then I can help myself. You know, it's a, what is this? And in that moment, Susan and I had a revelation. And the Lord said to us from Isaiah 58, is it not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, come up on the screen here, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and when you see the naked, to clothe them? And we just felt convicted that this was the heartbeat of the Father. And we opened the doors, and we, in a very simple way, began to help people, to feed people, and then to clothe them. And then thousands of people came, the broken, the homeless, the mentally ill, the lonely, the addicted, the abused, the confused, those seeking asylum. And we began to offer furniture and, and English classes. I was looking at our building yesterday, around 100 mostly Muslim people in our building learning English. I'm thinking, God, this is chaos. What is this? And we began to partner with other churches and so grateful for your support with us and other organizations. And now over 200 organizations recommend and refer people to our project. We've probably had 100,000 visits to our compassion unit since we opened it. And every week, 200 to 300 people find their way into our programs. And it's the stories of what happens when you get the Father's heart and you begin to care about people in the same way that Jesus cared about people. Yes. Alan was a Leicester boy with a dysfunctional family who, after struggling with life, decided to opt out. He found home in a squat in the city. He lived there for seven years. Food, he used to get out the bins of takeaway shops. Clothes, he would go to second-hand clothes shops and help himself out the bags that were left outside. Washed in a stream, used newspapers and carpets to keep him warm in the winter. And gradually, he faced loneliness and his mental health condition was taking him away from society completely. And then he had a revelation that he wanted to be different. And he came to us at Open Hands uh, and TLC about nine years ago. He was angry, he was unstable, he was full of questions. And, and he began to receive love. He came into the family. And he found grace and he found love and acceptance. And God began the changing process in him. Years later, he now has his own place to live. He's recently done an apprenticeship. He's employed. He's getting married next year. He's reintegrated in society. And he helps in our compassions work as a leader. The church is called to tell people that they can have a second chance. His words are this, is that this place, which he calls home, has made every difference to me, materially, spiritually, emotionally. It's become the family I never had. Pradresh and Karita sat in my office a few years ago. Beautiful family in our church, serving, aspiring to leadership. And I asked them a question that I'd always felt discerning. I said, do you have status to live in the UK? Dangerous question. Be sure you want to ask it of anyone. Embarrassment, tears, confession, desperation. And a story emerges of a seven-year overstay on a three-year student visa. Living illegally, working illegally, with brilliant children engaged in church life. Where do you start? And a few days later, the man walked into his job, apologized to his boss that he put him in a difficult position because of what he could have been fined of employing somebody without status to work. And he left work. 
And six families from our church began to support them for 14 months so that they could live and exist and stay in their house. And we went through the process of them getting asylum and being able to stay on the back that their children had been in the country for a long time. Today they've got status. They both work full time. They're passionate about Jesus, engaged in church life. But it costs. The church is called to be compassionate, but it costs. A highly trained and educated couple arrived in the middle of our compassion unit after fleeing Iran because their lives were endangered. They'd left everything. They were unable to work. They were lost. There was and there still is a lot of pain. And that day, an 82-year-old widow who works in our compassion work saw this lady and from a distance, God said to her, make this lady your friend. And she said, how can I befriend a Muslim? How can I do that? But that day, she simply listened to her story. And then she spent some time teaching her how to bake and supporting her in her life with her children. And she was there when she got saved. And she was there when she got baptized. And she was there when they said, will you be the godmother to our son? You see, hours of nurture, hours of discussion, hours of challenge, cost, difficulty... See, the church is called to be the heartbeat of the Father. It's not a comfortable club. Read the book of Acts. It's not a comfortable club. We simply are to follow his example in practical compassion. A young Latvian couple came to uh, our church some years ago. And I I knew there was a difficulty brewing because people were trying to sort something out. And I just waited and eventually, 5.30 at night, it arrived on my desk. They say, these people are about to be evicted from their house. They're desperate. We're going to leave it with you. And I'm driving home with Susan. It's our day off tomorrow. We've got one of our grandchildren in the back. And and I go past the squat where they live. And I'm saying to myself, just ignore it, David. You already do a lot. And in that moment, the words of Jesus slip into the car. And the words of Jesus will slip into your car if you listen at certain times. He said this, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. When did we do that, Lord? When did we possibly do that? And he said this, truly I tell you, for whatever you did for the least of one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And that day I parked the car and found myself in a cold, damp squat here in Leicester, unfit to live in. And inside there's a young couple with a lovely little girl and a baby sitting. And mum's weeping and dad's silent. It's a hovel. It's stunk. They were unmarried, the children with different fathers, countless bad decisions, unpaid rent, (laughs) reckless presumption, and Jesus in the room. And a few days later, we were able to help them, as many other charities and churches do in Leicestershire, by helping them with accommodation, helping them get their feet back to walking. The church are called to treat people with dignity, to love them, to want the best for them. Jesus always had time for the poor and the broken and the unlovely people. He was practical in his compassion towards others. He went out, he saw the need, he brought hope, he fed, he clothed, he healed, he restored, he was disappointed. Loving the poor is at the heart of Jesus' ministry and surely it must be at the heartbeat of church life. You see, we read about Isaiah If you go back to that chapter, he puts it like this. When you love the poor, your light breaks forth. Your healing quickly appears. The glory of the Lord is your rear guard. Your call. You call and the Lord answers. Your night becomes like the noonday. The Lord guides you. You become a spring whose waters never fail. Will you receive on this weekend of commission a fresh passion to reach and love the poor? I think the heartbeat of the Father is also to love the world. To love the world. At the beginning of the church, Jesus said this, you'll receive power and you will sit in many meetings and sing in tongues. 
I love singing in tongues. I love worship. I was listening to a song on the way here, a new song from the new Leland album. I was just near tears. Oh, God, I'm all in. I'm yours. You know, I love it. I love worship. I love the presence of God. I love the presence of God. I was teaching on Tuesday night in our Compassion Unit campus. 35 people sat there. And as so often happens, the presence of God comes in this place where people smell and are addicted and there's all sorts of dysfunction. And you go, Lord, I love your presence. I just don't get it. Why are you always turn up here? He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we as a church have always been a mission heart. We did succession very well. The former pastors of TLC were passionate about world mission. I love them for that. They're still on our eldership. We still walk together uh, as Brian approaches his 80s. He's still dynamic in, in our context, and I love him so much. But two years after we arrived... I was speaking in a meeting, and there was a man on the front row, simple, humble man who you could easily miss. And at the end, Brian said, will you have a quick word with my friend? And he was there finishing his master's at at, uh, a Bible college here and about to go back to um, the place he leads a work next to a slum in Nairobi. And I sat with him, and he became my friend. We were the same age. We had the same vision. His story of being born in a rural family, a poverty-ridden background, unable to go to school for many years, living with relatives, passed from one place to another, brokenness, limitation, and a man who had found Jesus and now wanted to do something for those in the same situation he was. And he used to say to me, you know, you can... You can get people out of the slum, David, but to get the slum out of them is a long process when they've been so broken. And I visited that project, and I was so captured by it. Tin shacks where they ran a school for nearly 300 kids, a church building that was just beyond belief. Tin shack crammed with people, terrible sound system, dust floor, dark and dingy and... Toilets that I cannot tell you. You would pray in the morning, Lord, please, I pray, all day, keep me from anything. Because <laughs> you would not want to go in there. It's like, I don't want to do this. I love you, but not that much. <laughs> and Susan and I began to travel there. And our church began to connect with it. And we became friends. And Jesus said, if any one of you gives even a cup of water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. Thank God for all the projects you do. But I want to put something in you again of why this is so important. It's not just we do a little bit of our budget, they go there. It's the very heart of God for us who are in the top prosperous people in the world. Do something for those who are broken. And my experience is this, that whenever we connect with the heart of God, he meets with us. Let me tell you about three moments that have been part of our journey. Seeing all these children, the teaching that everything was below par, poor, difficult. They They were with their tiny offerings paying for the education of most of the children who came out of the slum. And we sat there what are you doing that? And we thought, I can't change everything of this, but we can definitely change one person. And we began a project with them called Change One, the child sponsorship project. It runs differently to anything else that I've met. 100% goes into the project, and the children don't know they're being sponsored because it creates jealousy and it creates difficulty. We just pour it into them. And we began something that for £10 a month, you could change one child's life. This is Ashley. And that's a house similar to the one he lives in. That's a sewage walking, running past his house. It's a terrible place. You pay to go to the loo. You pay for water. Tin shacks that are boiling. There's no health care unless you can pay. There's no benefits, no rights unless you can support. Ashley 
is the youngest in a family of eight. His dad's an addict. His mom has brought all her family up by herself. She was beaten up last year, trying to sell peanuts in the slum to make a little extra finance. And they said to us the other day that this little boy, who's sponsored by someone in our church, and I told, I told this couple about their little boy the other day. He said this, that all that he receives has enabled him access to food, clothing, education, and love. I found this, that as we help children there, God has helped us to reach hundreds of children here. The second thing was a project that came to me that, that, that troubled me. I, I've got three sisters. Um, I grew up in a home with a strong mom and a quiet dad and three sisters. So I, I, I get women to a level. They all loved me. We talk on a WhatsApp chat once a month. One's in Madrid, not Madrid, Munich. One's in Manchester, pioneering a church in the middle of the Muslim community in Anglican Parish there. Brilliant pioneers. And the other one's in Derby. And I always sing them the same song. They don't like it. I said, ladies, we came from the same womb. And then I go, we are family. I've got all my sisters with me. <laughs> it, it always works for me. But and that's just tough. I'm not their pastor. I'm their brother. <laughs> And we began to see a pattern that teenage girls who could get into education, when their cycle began, they would leave education because they couldn't afford sanitary towels. There's not flowing water. It's very difficult to keep hygienic in that context, and pads are too much money. And we began to hear stories of many of them who would revert to a measure of prostitution to be able to pay for sanitary towels. And although it was not sustainable because you want to find something that then can regenerate funds itself and it can run, we began something called the ST Project. And the ST Project runs once a month for about 300 girls in that thing. They pay, we pay, we invest in it together. And it offers life-giving advice to teenage girls, training for them how to look after their lives and sanitary towels. The lady on the screen here, that is a lady called Maggie. She's 14. This is her story. My father passed away last year in September 2018. And after suffering for a long time from HIV, that was him. My mother is currently bedladen with the same disease. I met that lady. My brother was killed two years ago when he joined a group of gangsters in the slum. And my younger sister is nine years old and has severe mental health issues. We have no source of income as our a family, and we depend on well wishes to give us food. My mother has set up a small business of tomatoes selling outside our house and I assist her in the evenings. It was very hard for me to afford sanitary towels. And before I joined the SD project, I was forced to use substandard materials like old rags, which were very uncomfortable and were affecting me. My classmates and my friends used to complain that I smelt. One of my classmates introduced me to the ST project. And I thank God because now I not only have free sanitary towels, but I'm able to concentrate in school. And I look forward to studying hard and becoming a doctor in order to support my mother and my younger sister. My experience is this, that as we captured the heartbeat of the Father and have helped teenagers there, God has blessed our work with teenagers in the city. And then the whole area of a building. The Lord has not allowed us in Leicester to build a building. That's, I'd have loved one of these. <laughs> this would have done great for us, if you want to give it. <laughs> I can't receive it. No, I can, I can. I can, it's a lie. I'll find the land, thank you. I oh, bless you, David, that's great. Where are you? Yeah, yeah, thank you. But the heart of the leader, he used to say to build a glass cathedral. Not for opulence, but to say to the people in the slum, you are more than you've yet become. You can aspire for something. And one day I was preaching in this tin shack and I felt the Holy Spirit come on me and a scripture came into my heart from Isaiah 49. They keep all their children, but they run children about 500 plus children. And I got about 200 of them came into the building, crammed onto this little platform. And all the dust was in the air. I got all the leaders off and, and I got them to stand. And I read this scripture. The children born during your bereavement will yet say to you in your hearing, this place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. And I got these kids on this thing. This place is too small for us. Give us a bigger place. And I thought, you know, it was just a good idea. Those guys took that as the word of the Lord and began to plan to build. 
And a couple of years ago, I went and opened this building just on the, on the slum. It's a 2,000-seat auditorium. It cost them 80,000 pounds. Wouldn't you like to build a 2,000 auditorium for 80,000 pounds, which is a massive, massive amount for them. Huge. I'm just overwhelmed with what God is doing through that work. But this is what I've learned, that as we helped them with their buildings, every building we've ever needed as a church, and we currently use 20 different buildings in the city, every building we've ever needed has come to us. You see, every church carrying the heart of God loves the poor and is missional at its core. But I think every church carrying the heartbeat of the Father has a deep, and compelling love for lost people. You know, every church has its own story. For us, moving out of our building in high fields, got 11 car parking spaces. It's limited. It's surrounded by community, which I love, but is also so restricting for us. We moved into a, a sports hall nearby. About 98% Muslim sport, uh, the school is. And we were in the sports hall. It was a hovel, if I'm honest. The loos were terrible, but we were there for five years. You didn't come to TLC because you wanted a comfortable loo. And the church grew and we had fun. and It was great. But in our hearts... You know, we wanted to build something big. I wanted to sell our buildings and go off-site and find a big space, 300 car parking spaces, put an auditorium up. Booyah! I love the bigger thing. I, you know, ooh, we'll get on the platform and the moment and the peep. I love leading worship and the glory. Boo! I love that. And he's never let me do it. It's not fair. I'm not complaining, of course. But I am enjoying a slightly bigger building here which means I could go for a long time. It's all pent up in me. But in our hearts, we wanted to, but we felt the Lord say to us, and he spoke to us again. He said this from Isaiah, you need to enlarge the place of your tent. You need to stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you'll spread out to the right and the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Don't be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Don't fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. And so in 2013, at a time where we would have liked to build, we felt a call to change the way we did church, to spread out to the right and the left, not to stay in one place. Now, you understand some of this. To stay in one place is much easier. I don't want to say it, but a bit of a doddle, really. <laughs> All the people that can come can serve in that one place. You don't need many worship leaders. You only need a few sound guys. The more sites you do, you need a children's team for everyone and a PA for everyone and a teams that can do everything in the bigger setting, in the smaller setting. It's not easy. Don't do it unless you're called. You've already started. Tough luck. We also didn't want to become just front-led. This is no comment about any other churches, but it's very easy for a church to be led by a charismatic leader who becomes the focus of everything. It's about the leader, and it becomes front-led, and it becomes about a personality. And although we both love it when we get together, we felt that we wanted to release other leaders and empower other teams so that actually our legacy would not be that we went, but that we empowered others. And we also, and most of all, wanted to be missional in local communities. In local communities. The reality is, five years in that college in the center of a Muslim area, we reached very few people from that community. And we tried very, very, very hard. It's not easy, building church, reaching people. And so we began a process we planted in Beaumont Lees in 2013, and then in Oadby, and then in Braunston. We transitioned back to um, the central building. We planted TLC City South, and uh, TLC in the unit in 2015. We planted TLC City West in 2017. 2018, we planted TLC Burstall. And in, on January the 19th, 2020, we're planting TLC Hamilton. Very excited about that. Very excited. And Susan and I stop, and we look. And we say, firstly, what have we done? 
What have we done? But we just are overwhelmed with what God's done. Dozens of leaders who now lead and have grown. (laughs) Sometimes it's not as good as we would like, but we're grateful. So many children's leaders and worship leaders. This term in our church, there'll be 34 different preachers across our work. I love that. All those messages listened to and people critiqued on the doctrine of the house, how they stay strong. But we did it for more than that. I love those things, but we did it to reach lost people. There are 1,048,000 people in Leicestershire. 3% tops love Jesus. That's about 48,000. Something like that, less. million people. I don't know what the doctrine of the house is, but the one I carry is this, that there's a heaven and there's a hell, and the way to heaven is through Christ. And you don't die, and he says, listen, never mind, you had to go, in you come. There's a reality of a separation and a judgment and a challenge that sometimes in my own heart gets too quiet. Susan's running an alpha course in our own house because she's felt so burdened about our street. And she felt challenged the other day, our next door neighbours coming. And there was another lady opposite she wanted to invite. She said, Lord, let this be the day. I want to go out of the house and meet her. And she walked out and she saw this lady's dog. And then this lady came and in a moment talked to her. And she's coming to an alpha dinner in, uh, the week after next. And we're believing for many people off our street. Just our street in Bristol where we live. In our street on Bristol, it's a small one. There are more people live than are in our campus in Bristol. There are 70 cars on our small street. I'd like far more than 70 cars outside the campus. And we did it to reach people. Why do you, I hope that the reason you plant these campuses is to reach people. I hope the drive of a weekend like this, yes, to get vision, yes, to say we're, we're in this together, we're walking forward together, but to carry the heart of God for lost people. You see, we planted campuses for the young girl who got baptised last week in Beaumont Lees. Her family came to us from a sect here in Leicester. First time her mother saw my wife wearing jeans, she didn't know what to do with herself. She'd worn a skirt in ministry her whole life. I'm, not, I'm just checking, yes, you do believe ladies wear jeans. I'm just looking, <laughs> just checking. No trousers. And when she wore jeans for the first time, this lady, it was, like, it was a small thing, but it's like she was being liberated by Jesus. And her daughter got baptised last week, just telling her story of what God's done. We did it for an, a, a lady in Oadby who got saved and baptised last year, living in a different part of the city, came to us and when she became a Christian, was threatened with her life by her husband and her family. She had to flee the violence of that community and has now been uh, rehoused. We did it for her to find Jesus, to give her a chance. We did it for the older man in Bronson whose wife died last year. And he said this, coming here has given me something to believe in again. And it's opened my eyes to more of Jesus and how much God cares for me and believes in me. If you go in that campus, he'll come up to you and shake your hand and say, hello, hello, it's great to see you. He's just found Jesus. We did it for the teenager from TLC Central who last week sat on her bed The presence of God filled her bedroom and she began to speak in tongues spontaneously on her bed. We did it for a lady on the autistic spectrum who was part of our unit campus and who came to us. She's a hoarder. She uh, has many challenges in her life and she's come and she's began to be nurtured and cared for and she's found Jesus and she's got baptised and next year she gets married. We're taking her and her husband to be through some marriage teaching of a different type of relationship. But God is good. We did it for David from the TLC City West. That's a campus that meets in a nightclub in the, in the city centre. The, the club finishes at four. The cleaners go in. We arrive there about seven, open the doors to get the smell of pot out the, the auditorium. <laughs> Sticky floor. Hoover the area where the children's ministry is in that. Thinking, oh, Lord. This is not like Living Rock's lovely children's facilities. 
think he was, been on this carpet the night before, and then we run church. And we did it for David, because this is David's story. He said, at university in 2018, I was abusing myself. I was drinking and taking drugs. And one day I find myself walking into this venue. I was hit by the Spirit, and being baptized in the summer was potentially the greatest moment in my life. We did it, this vision for a lady in her 70s in Bristol who had prayed for many years that a church would be planted. And she died of cancer at the start of the year. I had the privilege of preaching at a funeral in Bristol Parish Church of all her friends and sharing the gospel. We did it for her. We did it for an Asian family who uh, the couple will be part of the leadership in our new Hamilton work who've been transformed by the gospel. Her story is this. Born in a simple, rural Indian family. She met an English teacher in her school who began to talk to her about Jesus. And as a teenage girl, she gave her life to Jesus. And she said to her, Dad, I've become a follower of Jesus. And he said to her, I don't want to know anything about that. But your sister's barren. You pray for her and she has a baby. We'll walk down to the river and throw all our idols in the river. That day she went and saw her sister and she laid hands on her sister as a teenage girl and prayed that she would be healed. And the following day, her sister came to her and said, I've had a vision. She said, I saw a man with a staff and a cloak standing at the bottom of my bed. And this lady, Matty, said to her, that was Jesus. You're going to have a miracle. Just over nine months later, when she gave birth to a child, her father took the whole family, threw all their idols in the river, and they became followers of Jesus. Now, listen. And this couple... This couple are going with us into Hamilton. Why? Because maybe half of Hamilton is Asian. And they need miracles. And they need a breakthrough. And we need God to do something. You see, this is our experience. As we've stretched and become uncomfortable, as as we have reached out to try and keep the passion of the gospel alive in us, he's met all our needs. All the people we've needed to do everything. All the leaders to rise up. All the resources we need. Every mic, every cable, every worship leader, every preacher, every person. As we've stretched, others have risen up. Because when you reach out to the lost, Jesus meets you and something happens in you. See, we're called, and you're called to be a light in this community. You're called to share the gospel, to reach a lost world with the greatest message of hope. C.T. Studd said this, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And here in this lovely middle-class area, and this very church is a miracle in itself, The very fact of its pulling power and its its size in this community, it's like another church I know in Bedworth. It's a similar similar thing. It's like, this shouldn't work here. It shouldn't work. It's it's a God thing. But it's not so you can sit and go, this is a lovely family. It's because he wants to add countless people to it who at the moment are sat tomorrow morning going to read the paper and have a croissant, watch the, hopefully, last day of the test, and they're going to be sat in there and they're going to done their gardens and some of them are going to go, is this all there is? Perhaps they're going to come to a Christmas event this Christmas year. Perhaps they're going to sit near the lovely lady with the red top on there and they're going to weep and find Jesus. Perhaps it's your friends. Who are you bringing this Christmas? Christmas, David? Yeah, who are you bringing this Christmas? Reaching the lost must be part of the heartbeat of what we do. I know that much of this is your vision already, the lost, the world, the poor. But today, as you receive a fresh sense of commission, a a sense of we're in this together, this is what this heart is. I love the fact of you releasing ministries and prophetic gifting and teaching gifting. I love that. I love that, that belief in the house more. I wish we carried a bit more of the practice of apostleship. And the way you do. I love the belief in that. And I believe in apostles and prophets for today. May it be released more in our house. But as you receive this, I pray you would reach your world. You'd have a heart for the poor. You'd have a heart for the nations. You'd re-engage in the mission's heart of this house. And you'll realize, actually, it's at the very pinnacle of what we do. You see, you as a person have amazing potential. You do. You're called for such a time as this. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is your life. 
This is it. This is the moment. What are you going to do with it? Don't put your life into things that just stay in your garage and you never get them out maybe once a year. Don't build your life in things. Listen, I've worked it out. However big your pension pot is, however big your, your, the plot of your land, however many cars you drive or nice shoes you have, when you die, you go in the buff. <laughs> it's a fact. You take nothing with you. Of course, it's important. Generational blessings and inheritance, of course. Live a life you're proud of. Live a life passionate about Jesus. If you've, if you've got out of the habit, if it's a long time since you cried, it's a, your heart was broken over your neighbours, if, if, if you haven't looked at somebody who just was once a, a beautiful little boy or girl and is now sitting there smoking mamba or taking drugs and has messed up their whole life, they were never intended to be that. Jesus died for that person because he is so passionate, he committed to them finding him. Develop in yourself a passionate, devotional life. Find a chair again. Make a decision. Sit in it and say, God, I want the Bible to come alive in my life. I want your presence to be in me. I want to be compelled by a love of Jesus in me. Let something happen in you even this morning. You know, and then serve in the house faithfully. Get here early. Come more regularly. Give passionately. Financially and everywhere. I love, I love giving to the house. And I know this is a giving house. Die empty with the vision and potential that you have. Don't leave it here. Don't, don't take it with you. Everything that God's placed in you, live it all for him. I love that bit on the video that we said, this is the greatest thing we can give our lives to. I love that. I love that. Here's the word of the Lord for you. From Acts 16, 18, verse 9. This is the word of the Lord to many of you, but he is a house. Do not be afraid. That's the first thing. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I know we have to balance budgets. I understand. I get that. I sat with our finance manager the other day. Once a month, she sits with me and brings a report. And I'm always nervous before I go in. You know, has it been a, has it been a good month? Or have the people been enjoying holidays and croissants? <laughs> and she... I usually know because she says to me, well, remember, David, God is good. That means it's been a bad month. And I said, and the Lord has met all our needs, and I said to her, why? Oh, I wish, you know, I wish we got a bit more so we could. She said, why do you want that, David? Is it so that you would be more secure and don't have to pray so much? So I sacked her, and I got someone who's more reverential, who's just in awe of my gift. The fact is the Lord will meet your needs. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid as a house. The Lord causes you to do some outrageous things. Be brave enough to step out and do it. You might as well. have got one life. It might work. And if it doesn't, you can blame Richard. Who looks very handsome on that video, I have to say. He's a, he's a very handsome man, isn't he? In a dark room with the lights off. Really, it scrubs up well. Do not be afraid. Got to keep on speaking. Yes. What are you speaking as a house? What are you speaking? If I go and knock on all these houses around, what are they going to say? Is their first thing, oh, they're blooming park over my drive every Sunday. <laughs> they're noisy people. Their kids are rolling the road. Or are they going to go, hmm, yeah, they're a bit inconvenient at times, but I know they love people. What are they going to say? Keep speaking. Don't be silent. Don't be silent. Don't be silent. Keep speaking. Why? Because God is with you. He says, I am with you. God is with you as a house. I, I believe he's with you. I believe he loves this church. I believe he loves your history, your vision, your passion, the things you've already laid in the ground. He loves this house. He loves it. He says this, I'm with you. No one's going to attack and harm you. Like last week, we were in an elders' prayer meeting. I heard a kerfuffle outside. <laughs> Looked through the window of our building in Highfields. This is really going to make you want to visit. There was a man with a two-foot uh, machete trying to kill somebody else. And a group of about 60 guys had, I think, all come out of the two mosques just near us, uh, next to us, and, think, and there, was a, there was a great sense of violence in the street. I thought, this is great for newcomers. You know, you know come to us. You're out, your car will be on bricks, but your heart will be filled. So it's like... 
Oh, gosh. Lord, can't I have one of those nice middle-class places? No. Although we are in OB, that's nice. I visit there, that's nice. For no one is going to attack and harm you. If you're able to, just put your hands out in front of you. Please hear our heart. We're, we're so much a work in progress. We're so much a work in progress. And I love celebrating. It's such a, a joy to celebrate what God is doing in so many brilliant houses. But for you, I just felt the Holy Spirit really urge me to firstly say, well done. But to challenge you about his heart for the poor, his heart for the nations, and his heart for the lost. Every decision you make, pause and think, how does this affect the poor, the nations, and the lost? Or is this just about me? Holy Spirit, you're here in this room, these brilliant people who love you. Thank you so much for every man and woman, boy and girl here. Thank you for the potential in the hearts of everyone in this room. Father, we would like you to heal us more and change us more so that our agenda is more your agenda. And I pray over all these brilliant people that not only would you wrap your fatherly arms around them and let them know how precious they are to you, but you would also rise in them a greater longing to help broken people, to do all they can to impact one person in somewhere else in the world and to reach the lost. Lord, my prayer is here that you would come and do something so great that only you can get the credit. That all the prayers, Lord, we don't, when we pray, we don't just bring the prayers. We pray now, we bring the prayers in the foundations of this house from its conception. We, I bring them all to you, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. I pray, Lord, that out of this house will be planted many strong works. Not little twigs, but oak trees planted out of the house that want to be in relationship and want to walk together, but are also strong enough to sustain themselves. Lord, and and so do it out of a, a, not just a need, but a heart. Bless this house. Lord, such as I have, I give to this place. In the name of Jesus, let there be an increase, an increase in every area, another level, another thousand cubits measured out. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on this place. I pray you'd give them the desires of their heart. You would help them know that you are great in them. They can do all things through Christ who gives them strength. And Lord, thank you for your word that as they stay in your will, all the people, all the provisions and all the premises they need will be provided as they stay in your will. And I bless this house in the name of Jesus. And we thank you. We thank you that you love us and that you're with us and that we get to do this. What an honor it is. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. I wonder if you'd just do something for me, just for a a couple of minutes. Why don't we just literally lift up our voices and put our hands together and just make some noise and just thank God for the privilege that we have to be alive today. Come on, lift him up. Lift him up. Oh, we praise you, God. We pray. Keep going. Lift him up. Lift him up. We love you, Lord. How great you are. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. We love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. How great you are. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.